Welcome to the Spiritual Geek Out Podcast. I'm your host, Diane Hudock, where we have fun talking about the phenomenal and the fascinating. From angels to energy healing, from mystical places to mystical teachings, this is a place where we nerd out on the science of the soul. Hello and welcome to another episode. I'm back from a short break and excited to share with you what's to come in this season of the podcast. And by God, if you haven't already, my thousands of beloved listeners, please subscribe and leave a good word on iTunes. Pay it forward. And I thank you. Okay, let's get to the show. Today's guests are Dr. Elspeth Muth and Freddie Zantal Weaver partners in life and in the business of intimate relationship, who have assisted more than 10,000 couples and singles in rekindling and expanding themselves around this very subject for over the past two decades. They are the authors of the book, Sexual Enlightenment, How to Create Lasting Fulfillment in Life, Love, and Intimacy. Elspeth and Freddie are also the founders and directors of the Tantra Nova Institute in Chicago, and they've shared their intimacy wisdom on Showtime's docuseries, Sexual Healing. In this talk today, they share at great length the principles of Tantra as a language of love and a path to wholeness. We break down such topics as how life force energy and sexual energy are actually one and the same. Just what is a yoni, (laughs) relationship mastery being mastery of self, explaining the body as a sex in a conscious way, how to transmute sexual energy to the heart, the value of not spilling one's life force energy or vital fluid, and distinguishing between fulfillment and gratification. We talk about these subjects and so much more, guys. And Dr. Elspeth humbly shares how she transformed her long history of attracting unavailable men and the spiritual opportunity that came present many years later through undergoing a hysterectomy and its connection to trauma and the patterns we all can hold in the body. At 73 years old, she, along with her husband, Freddie, can inspire us all, how aliveness can be discovered at any age. Enjoy. Elspeth and Freddie, it is an honor to have you on the Spiritual Geek Out podcast. I'm really excited to delve into this very misunderstood subject of sexual energy, tantra, and really sensual creativity. Mm. Beautiful. Nice introduction. <laughs> right. Oh, well, spirit. Yeah. <laughs> Did I leave you speechless there for a moment? Yeah. Uh, so I thought I'd just jump right in. And you share a lot on your website and in some of your videos and talks about how you guys got into this and what informed your life. And to kind of just cut to the chase. You both come from radically different backgrounds and inputs as it relates to sexual energy. And Freddie, your dad gave you a book about sexual consciousness when you were in puberty around 15, which is amazing. (laughs) He gets the blue ribbon for parenting there. He was uh, really quite something. Amazing. And Elspeth, 
as much as you say you loved your dad and he loved you and there was just this beautiful connection, you share how you felt perhaps um, he had this emotional illiteracy, as you put it. And this informed you as well in perhaps the men you chose at least earlier in your life in the earlier days being emotionally unavailable. And so my question is, if we're all influenced or informed in varying degrees by our upbringing, be it our parents, how did your mother's influence your perceptual lens as it relates to this topic of sexual expression, energy and relationship? Wow, what a great question. Do you want to go? No, go ahead. Oh, so yeah, you know, this is really curious for me, even in what I remember in that um, at the time uh, that was such a, a gut-wrenching, heart-wrenching experience uh, when I was 18 years old, uh, because I'm mentioning this because that all came back uh, in my tantric healing. And then I discovered that it had something to do with, you know, attracting unavailable men. Mm-hmm. At, uh, the decision I made when I was 18 years old was that men are never there for you. So anyway, I had a beautiful boyfriend. We had a blissful couple of years together. And then he asked me to have intercourse. And I said yes, although I was not ready. And it was freakingly painful. I had to go to the gynecologist. And the bill went to my house. My dad opened it. All hell broke loose. He called me a whore. Wow. Boyfriend left shortly after. And there I was all by myself, alone, no one to turn to. And that was the moment when I said to myself, look, men are just not there for you. Hmm. And that is when I closed off. And to your question with my mother, I have been doing some soul searching there. My mother doesn't show up anywhere. How I experienced it was, was that she was not available. I mean, she was, not a, she was not there. I mean, she was in the house. She knew what had happened, but I did not turn to her. So that was not a safe haven either. And so um, while my mother really had early conversations about uh, developing as a girl and woman in my teenage years, but it was always a little clinical. Hmm. So my exploration really happened on my own terms and when I was ready to to the chagrin of my parents. But so my upbringing was not very free in that sense. And so just like, you know, so different from Freddie's upbringing. Where was your mother? Okay, <laughs> on to my mom. I actually have two mothers, one black and one white. Oh. So my paternal mom, she um, was, uh, you know, was born in North Carolina and was raised on the farm and went to college and uh, got a degree in teaching education. Married my father, who was a, a young physician, and they worked. She, they were married while he was in medical. Actually, uh, pre uh, his undergraduate. BS work. And then they were together through his medical school and then started his practice in uh, California. 
And then she went on and got her master's and PhD in education and became a principal at the school district. But early in my life, when they divorced, when I was about seven years old, uh, my mom and I fell out. We fought all the time because I was really missing my dad when they split up. So they both decided and I decided to go live with him. And at that time, he had remarried my white stepmom. Mm. Now, both of these women, it's funny because they're almost like bookends in terms of where they look. They're both absolutely gorgeous. My mom looks like um, Dorothy Dandridge. She was just absolutely perfect, beautiful uh, in terms of a woman. And then uh, my stepmom looked like I'm kind of dating myself, like Linda Evans, or she was just absolutely gorgeous, both of them. And so my first, my, my uh, black mom, you know, we fought and then my stepmom stepped in at seven and we never fought at all. She was a beautiful stepmom. Um, we did everything together. Uh, she was great through my high school years. And then I went off to college. Uh, later in my life as an adult, me and my mom reconciled and we became really great friends and we're great friends to this day and have an interesting relationship different from my brother and my sister and her, because we don't have the early kind of stuff that, uh, you know, parents go through with their kids. Uh, cause I was gone for a long, large period of time from, from that story. So we've kind of created our relationship as adults. And we are very respectful of each other and we love each other dearly. And um, it's a great relationship now. But what about if you tell the story that when you were five and you walked into your parents' bedroom? Okay, yeah. Because that gives another flavor of how Freddie grew up. So different from most of us. Yeah, this really bodes well in terms of my folks and their consciousness. This is my black stepmom or my black mom and my black dad. Uh, yeah, so I'm five years old. I'm watching the cartoons, uh, and um, you know, I hear these noises in the in the bedroom, and you know, I'm still watching the cartoons, but the noises sound like animals in there, you know. So I go to the, I go down the hall, I look at the doors, partly open, and they're they're fucking, you know. And so, you know, five year old kid, I don't know what that is. It looks like my dad's hurting my my mom, and I'm kind of scared, you know. And then it looks like, well, it looks like they're having a good time. <laughs> And they see me looking at the door and they both stop and they sit up in bed nude. And my father asked me to come sit at the edge of the bed. And he says, well, young Freddie, and I'm looking at both of them nude. I'm looking at my mom's breasts and I'm thinking, you know, I remember those. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I'm looking at my father's, you know, penis and I'm thinking, what happened to me? You know, little, you know, <laughs> and so my father says, look, young Freddie, we're making love. And one day you're going to be even more interested in this than you are now. Could you just leave and close the door? Uh, and I left and I closed the door. And, you know, I used to do this show uh, all over the country, actually all over the world. I did this show for years called Sexual Enlightenment. And it was basically unpacking and demystifying sex, love and intimacy through my own stories. A one hour show, I had songs and I had monologues and, and scenes. And I did that scene. That's one of the opening scenes. And I go through my puberty and a lot of things happen. Anyway, at the end of the show, I would always open it up for questions and people could share. Uh, and so I'm doing the show one night at Kripalu. I had about 300 people in my audience and there's all these people at the end. And one young guy said, look, I'm a young, uh, young father. And he says, I never would have thought I could do that with my kids if they caught us. Another woman shares and she says, yeah, I remember hearing my folks make love. Or, and I asked my mom what they were doing and she said they were wrestling. And then another guy shares, he said he heard and he listened at the door. His father got up, opened the door, slapped his face and accused him of being 
a peeping Tom. So mm -hmm. what we learn about this most intimate, sacred act that brings life into the world, I can't think of anything more spiritual, are lies, beatings, and shaming. Yes. You know, and that's kind of the foundation of where we start with all this. You know, all of us. I mean, it's in the world. Uh, so what we're doing is, you know, we're sharing in uh, with our work, uh, you know, forever we've been procreating with this energy, creating life for the last hundred or so years, recreating with the development of contraceptives. So what we're sharing is how to co-create with this you know, altering state of consciousness energy. Um, right. And so that's what we've been doing with this work. And, you know, we call our, our company Tantra Nova, Tantra Nu. So we're integrating the energetic uh, yoga uh, of the East and some of the Western approaches in terms of psychology and, and generative language and creative self-discovery, how we discover ourselves in the creative process in music and movement and art in our curriculum as a way for people to see something that they don't see about what they're doing to create what they're getting to then move towards what they most deeply desire and imagine. Because that, that's the connection, that's the, that's the quantum, that's the connection is that imagination. And it's right. learning how to get out of our clay that we are from the past and the future and the analytical of the now to move into this, this dream place to create the soulness of our thoughts and our dreams. Amen. Well, let's jump into that because I have a lot of questions around that. And my first question is how does, just straight up, how does coming back into connection with our sexual energy serve to awaken our wholeness? Mm, wow. Ooh, let's unpack that. Yes. So when we look at sexual energy, for one thing, it's the most, or life, let's call it life force energy, because sexual and life force energy are the same. You know, that energy just shows up in different gradations. And then at some moments, it's very subtle, just like right now, you know, where everyone is listening, I'm speaking. And then it, you know, goes up all the way to a highly aroused state, to a climax or an ejaculation. But that life force energy, we call it actually a, a sexual life force energy, is really the energy that brought us into this life. So when we are disconnected or when that energy is suppressed or when we are obsessed with there is some constriction, which means that the energy cannot flow as freely. And of course, the life force energy doesn't just show up in, you know, moving through our body and keeping us alive through the breath. It shows up in the physical as a sensation. It shows up in the emotional as an emotion. It shows up in the mental state as thoughts. These are all frequencies. And so in the tantric practice, what we learn or perhaps relearn is to integrate our physical, sexual, our emotional and love and our mental and spiritual self, because that often is compartmentalized. Not that we come into this world in a compartmentalized way, but just like for me, you know, an experience of such heart-wrenching, uh, you know, pain that I had as 18 years uh, at 18 years old, 
and then making the decision that men are not there for me when I need them and closing off. Like I compartmentalized what I was doing then was like I was looking for love through sex. Right. Of course, there is, it's not possible. Now, we want to be in the integration of our sexual dimension and our love dimension. That is where it becomes really superb. Well, you bring up something pretty potent there where you say that we can't get love through sex. And yet many people think that they can, or they say, you know, I just wanted to be loved. I just wanted somebody to want me. And the vehicle of sex was sort of the language by which they thought they would receive that, um, that loving or that reinforcement or, or affirmation, uh, the reaffirming that they were worthy or, of being loved. And yeah. I think that's a gross misunderstanding mm-hmm. because it's like, you know, it kind of just brings me back as well to Tantra because there's a gross misunderstanding with Tantra because it's often just reduced to just that sex, erotica, or sexual pleasure, but not the wholeness of this vehicle we call Tantra. Yes. Yes. So it's, you know, it's that, that sexual energy is so when it shows up as pleasure, it's so seductive because we feel connected with ourselves. You know, we open up more, we become more intimate. However, we can have sex without intimacy, you know, get the two bodies together. So, but it is really, and I also think that, you know, when we come into this world, I mean, after all, we come through a birth canal through which we were actually conceived. So that is all intertwined, you know, the, the creative energy, the giving birth, you know, a pleasure. It all is conceived and comes from the same place, yeah. which is the womb, you know, and that can be very pleasurable just by, we don't have to be highly aroused. It can just be very pleasing. And so I think we get then confused like that. This is what it means to be loved. And you use this word wanted because that is what we confuse as children. You know, when I'm wanted by my parents, when they give me their attention, then I'm loved. And that's totally understandable as children. However, when we grow into adults, in my eyes, the big shift is to mature in adult into adulthood, where we actually distinguish that, where we no longer look for love outside, where we are love, not just within, we are love. But that is not an intellectual construct that will create the experience. It's something that wants to be learned, wants to be consciously inquired into and explored into also experientially. For sure. Absolutely. And, and it's like, we could talk about all day long, but it's just a concept until we actually experience it by stepping into those waters and, and exercising it so that we can receive a different experience 
and, and change our perceptual lens. Well, to that, um, Elspeth, how did you break the pattern of being or attracting unavailable men? So I was very despaired uh, when I noticed, you know, earlier you mentioned, I mentioned it, that I had this attraction to unavailable men. And while that was exciting, um, you know, most of the time I was alone. And when I hit 50, I got really, you know, I saw the writing on the wall. If I was not going to change that, I would end up, you know, leaving this planet without having experienced lasting intimacy and love. And I was not willing to go there. So I said, Elspeth, do whatever it takes. And I delved deeply into meditation and then moved into uh, the study of Tantra. I was familiar with Tantra, but I had never dedicated myself to the practice of Tantra as a serious discipline. And in the work, um, and I started uh, my tantric practice solo because, you know, I was alone. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wanted to use that form of learning to really take the veil of the illusion off. There, there was something that I was blind to that produced over and over the same result. And in the tantric healing, when I was touched inside my yoni, yoni means sacred space, uh, translated from Sanskrit, uh, and the sacred space is the sexual center of a woman. And by the way, these rituals, there's one for the woman and there's one for the men. Mm. They are, you know, really with great <clears throat> sacredness and respect and honoring. So it's not about lovemaking, yet there is sexual touching. And that touching is very intentional and only happens by invitation, like by permission, by the receiver who is the woman in my case. And <clears throat> there was something touched inside in my yoni when this memory of the 18 year old came back. My intention for the healing work was to get clear what was in the way for me to bring in a beloved, you know? And there I go, the 18 year old experience came up with all its pain and emotional feelings and physical pain. And it was like opening a valve, you know, at first the steam gets really, really intense and then it fizzles out. Was, that was what I experienced, very intense physical sensations and, and emotions. And then um, it fizzled out, cleared, and in place what opened up was deeper trust in myself, trust in men in general. And then Freddie Sintar came into my life six months later. And I'm quite sure if I hadn't done my healing work, I would not have recognized him as a potential partner because he was available and that didn't fit with my previous pattern of being attracted to unavailability. 
So it was quite miraculous and I needed to ready myself, clearing myself so that the beloved could show up at my doorsteps. Mm, that's gorgeous. It, it makes me think, and, and you probably already answered it, but it's like, you know, the common denominator is you and all these unattractive men. So when people go, oh, you know, everyone, uh, everybody, every man I'm with dumps me or every man I'm with trashes me or every man I'm with treats me like crap. And it's like, well, hold on a minute. The common denominator is you. So what is that unresolved issue inside of you? What is quite simply the judgment or the limiting interpretation of yourself that you as the attractor field are putting out there as a waveform and that sort of tentacle is hooking onto that same waveform that is seeking to carry out their misaligned action of meeting you in your unworthiness, or in your case, your lack of trust of self, which I might kind of say is one in the same lack of trust in the God or spirit or divine source, because we're all from source. So if we don't trust ourselves, we don't trust that source is, has our back or is really our greatest partner. Would you agree? Well, we're in the process of, of, you know, evolving and and uncovering that goddess and God that we are, you know, that consciousness, yet we are this clay. I mean, we haven't really been aware of our own existence for very long in terms of the universe It's homo sapiens thinking carbon units, you know, so we're kind of new, you know, in terms of what our possible, what our possibilities are. So uncovering that. And so if we think about sexual energy, that it was creating life before we even had language, then, you know, there's something that's there that we are just not even knowing. And we know that without it, we wouldn't be here. And that when we're in it, we're more open, loving, vulnerable, receptive, chemically, chemically we're changed, more oxytocin, endorphins, serotonin, you know, the feel good hormones. So in that altered state, what we do is we teach specific um, distinctions in terms of breath awareness, energy awareness, and intention to get more unmasked from this clay that we are, these old stories, these old belief systems that keep the tape running. Like, how did I keep creating these men that are not available? And our ego uh, projection is that it's out there. But really, like you said, we are creating that wave from places that we don't even remember because it's a different story. So it's in that intimate altered state of vulnerability that the sexual energetic awakening takes us to automatically with these learned now distinctions, we can begin to get more connected to the emotional neurosynaptic story and belief and energetic connection to the old thing that keeps us stuck, to then unstuck that. And what happens is we uh, slowly flatten the way that has us and it just shows up like a blip on the horizon and we can then keep moving with gracies and flow towards what we most deeply desire. And that's the sexual uh, intelligence that we speak of that you know, anyone who's willing in a body can tap into. Well, how do you define relationship mastery? Uh, both of you, how do you recognize it that this exchange is present both in yourselves and in other couples? Yeah. So relationship mastery starts with oneself, the relationship with self. And mastery of the self has to do with 
that I can guide my physical being, my emotional being, my mental and my mental being. You know, we are all made up of impulses. Like when I get angry, you know, I don't reflect on Elspeth, do you want to get angry? No, it comes over me in a nanosecond. However, where I do have agency when I practice it is that I can actually create a little pause. We teach the pause to be initiated with a conscious breath so that I can look at how I feel instead of the feeling having me, the anger having me. Now it needs to be practiced with any impulse, sexual energy, our sexual feelings are impulses. It's built into us like it's built into animals. It's just like animals in that way, that's not good, that's not bad, that is how it is. So what distinguishes us from an animal is that we have, we are self-reflective. And so we can actually observe ourselves. We can observe how we feel in our body, in our emotions. We can watch, learn to watch our thoughts. And that's actually the access to the place then where I can have my feelings, where I can have my thoughts, where I have, where I can have my sexual impulses instead of them having me. So I want to then, as I said earlier, become integrated between my physical sexual self and my heart and emotional self and my mental and spiritual self. Now this, again, what we spoke, spoke about earlier, coming to coherence within oneself because I was not coherent with myself. You really phrased it beautifully a little earlier, you know, that there is a disconnect within that then creates the disconnect outside. Like, you know, I look, I thought I was available, but I was not really available to me. I looked available at the outside but internally I was not available. So to come into coherence within myself so that I radiate, that I spread the frequency I wanna attract. And that then, you know, that is where I can tune with another. And of course, when I vibrate in a coherent frequency, then that the partner, the people who come to me, they vibrate in their coherence. Mm. And so we can come together as two coherences that then, you know, vibrate with each other. Now we are not of the same frequency. When I say coherence, it's not the same frequency, but the frequencies, they are attuned, you know, like just like two instruments. Yes. We are not off tune, we are attuned each other energetically speaking oh i love that distinction because it's not that we have to become or would even want to become the same frequency or be on the same wavelength because you're you're dancing to your own tune or your own frequency 
And the harmony comes from the harmonics of the two varying frequencies that are in their dance with the others, you know, the variance of the two coming together rather than trying to match or um, it's almost like the misconception that people feel, some people feel in relationship that when they leave a relationship or they're in a sort of static place with the relationship and they say, I feel like I've lost myself or my sense of identity. And you could, it's kind of commensurate with you trying to match that partner's frequency instead of allowing yourself to be your own divine harmonic frequency, coherence, resonance, music. Yep. The opportunity in relationship, I always say, is to learn to allow the other to be totally who they are and support that. Right. Because that's really getting out of your own ego and expectation and your own mirroring of who you think they should be because that's who you would be or who you think they should be. Right. You know, and that is really an opportunity, you know, in I'm fine, you know, in the woods by myself. <laughs> it's, it's when I when I'm with another and it looks like I'm triggered because of something they're doing or who they are. And, and you know, learning to own our own triggers is the first opportunity in transformation and in self-mastery. So in relationship, if you look at it as a way to really continue to grow interpersonally and collectively, then every time you get a trigger, own that trigger. And if there's something to share, like, you know, in terms of some sort of actionable uh, insight about what you'd like to change in the relationship or to be able to speak that and then to be able to manage what you feel about, you know, why are you wearing that dress? Your butt's hanging out, honey. You know, your own jealousy or your own possessiveness or your own fear. Uh, you know, and so those are the opportunities to flatten all that stuff that has us so deeply in these lives. Mm, well said. What do you find are some of the main emotional patterns that you've seen show up that impede one's sexual energy or freedom of expression? Oh, yeah. So one key emotion is shame. Shame, embarrassment, also fear. You know, that when we feel pleasure, there could be negative consequences often experienced, you know, the first exploration of a child or teenager with themselves. And then the mother walks in. Right. Grounded. So there are negative consequences. You know, we didn't grow up with the mother walks in and say, oh, how wonderful. I'm so delighted that you are learning about yourself. You know, it would take a mother who has done already clearing work on herself, <laughs> you know. Uh, so there is a great deal of discomfort collectively around that energy, although we are so, you know, preoccupied with that energy when we look at advertising and uh, porn and you know, including domestic violence, like there's this dynamic of violence and the sexual connection, emotional connection. So um, this is really pretty loaded and we hold it like that this is the last frontier. We have done much more in terms of our emotional self as far as, you know, evolution is concerned. And I think also therapy has a great deal to do with that over the last 50 years that we are much more 
allowed to feel our feelings, to express our feelings. Um, through the Eastern tradition of meditation and yoga, there is more contemplation, you know, more also being with our mind and calming our mind. So again, when we look at these three angles, the mind, the heart, and the body, the sex, the, the body as the sexual dimension hasn't been really addressed. You know, it, there are a lot of aberrations that not going towards as, oh, let's explore into that in a conscious way. Right. It's expanding, though. Uh, I would say that, you know, our interest in sex and the, you know, uh, information highway, dissemination information highway of porn is part of the process of a critical mass in terms of making that quantum you know, shift to seeing ourselves in each other. Because until we really drop the vilification of the sexual self, can we drop into what that what happens for all of us when we're in that energy, that loving open heart, that 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 orgasmic aliveness and wonderfulness of the spirit. Um, and you know, we could teach these practices to nuns and priests if they were about the celibacy. It's about being what that energy leads us to being. Right. Uh, you know, so and that's the piece that that for us is part of the making, you know, creating more peace on the planet through doing this work. But, mm -hmm. you know, people come to the work and they're like, peace on the planet. I just want another orgasm, <laughs> you know. But, you know, there was a guru that I, I follow for years and love to still read him. He's gone, Osho Bhagwan. But, uh, oh, yeah. and uh, he, when he was in Pune, his adepts would come to train with him or learn from him. And he would first have them go in a room and just make, have sex for two weeks, just nothing but sex and have an orgasm and lots of people. And then they think, oh, yeah, you know, I'm still not happy. I want one more orgasm or one more new person. And now he would come in and say, now we meditate because people have to gorge themselves. And that's kind of what's happening in the world with porn and this, you know, fat. and women are learning things that they could do with sex that they didn't know because there's been such a su suppression. So in a way, it's a good thing. Yet we can't stay stuck there. I think we are moving towards another expression, another possibility of learning of what this energy is. It's like when we first started eating, we were just hunter, we were just gathering, we weren't farming. And, you know, and so we're just sort of uncovering, you know, this wonderfulness of the sexual energy. But mm. um, anyway, so that's, that's the. <laughs> yeah, I love that, Freddie. I mean, there's so much there. And, and circling back to you, Elspeth, when you're talking about just the fact that life force energy and sexual energy is one in the same. I mean, I think it's worth men mentioning that sexual energy and spiritual energy, they, they come from the same source. So we can't, we can't, like you said, compartmentalize it. And, and I think of people that grew up with a lot of religiosity and have that curriculum of shame, have that, that running them. And, and I just say, say, well, the fact that God even gave us created a clitoris means God intends for women to have an orgasm <laughs> it's not just there by by accident and and so there is a there is a spiritual opportunity here where we can even utilize yes an orgasm um, for for a spiritual purpose just like osho was teaching osho says from his book uh from sex to super consciousness he he emphasized the presence of god right in the act of of using sex and closeness um, 
as a way to connect with the divine through orgasm. And he said, the coupling of a man and a woman has a very deep significance. The ego evaporates in this assimilation of two human beings. A person who really understands the essence of this unity, of this longing for love and oneness, can also comprehend the meaning of yet another kind of unity. A yogi unites, an ascetic unites, a saint unites, a meditator unites. A person is also united in intercourse. His identity merges with that of the other person and they become one. So like anything, yes, we can use sex for just that to kind of get off and it can be like a lower level thing, just a pleasure thing or getting off thing, moving energy up and out thing or, or down and out, I should say. But uh, it can also be this great yoking like yoga is or uniting of um, where one one's identity literally merges and dissolves into the other. Is that what Osho taught you? Well, Osho taught me a lot of things. I just resonate so with what, you know, his message was in the world while he was embodied here. Um, for me, the sexual energetic, whether you're with yourself or with another, represents a connection with um, an intelligence that supports the existence of being. You know, I don't know, you know, we're, that's our lineage, you know, so I know that when we are in a pleasurable state, you know, the essence of that sexual energy, creativity and pleasure, when we bring consciousness to the sexual, creativity and pleasure start showing up in areas of life that seem completely unrelated to sex in the simple process of living. So instead of when we go deep in, in, a, in a, with an awareness of where that energy is taking us, particularly aligned with an intention, and we start to get in touch with the story making that we do and how energy and stories create our uh, you know, interpretation of our life and experience. Then if I was like at work and I said, well, I hate my job, you know, 30 more years of retirement, what am I gonna do? That dog doesn't hunt anymore because what that conversation internally even does energetically, because now I'm listening at a deeper energetic level because of this altered state of consciousness that I was in with this sexual experience, it starts to resonate throughout. That's where Tantra becomes, or sexual sex consciousness, one of his books, Super Sex Consciousness, um, becomes a way of life because people will come to our work and they think, oh, I'm gonna have a bad orgasm or they heard of an article where Sting made love for eight hours uh, you know, with his wife. And then once they get into it, they realize, oh, this is bigger than just the bedroom. Yeah, this becomes a way of listening in every area of your life. If it's anywhere, it's everywhere, as George Carlin said, you know, and that's what starts to show up. And that's the opportunity because and that's what Osho opened up for me when I started, because that was one of the first books that my father gave me when I was uh, 13, spending all that time in the shower. And he was trying to save me from hurting myself. <laughs> Is he still alive? He just passed away. Thank you. Yeah, I just passed, made his transition November 28th. And a few weeks ago, my brother and my sister and I took his ashes to Hawaii, where he practiced. He was a psychiatrist. He practiced for many years there. And that's where I grew up in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And so we had a wonderful, uh, you know, send off for him uh, in the oceans of Hawaii. But previous to that, right at, shortly after his death, we did a celebration of life with all of his friends around the world online. 
Mm. So that was nice. So yeah, he 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 was 94, died in bed. We should all be so lucky. Oh, wow. Yeah. Sounds like an incredible man. Um, yeah, he's got about five books that he's written. And uh, anyway, a lot of articles. And he was really quite something, quite prolific in his work and his belief and his systems of shifting, you know, out of unconsciousness. Hmm. I'm thinking of the other sort of side of the spectrum, which is there's Osho's point of view and how we can utilize this as a, as a great communion of sorts between a man and a woman or a man and a man, whatever you choose, or a woman and a woman. Um, but then there's the other perspective that we might look at yogically where I'm thinking of that technique. I think it's called Vajroli Mudra. You guys familiar with that? It's the, it's I've the heard practice, of it, yes. Yeah, it's the practice where uh, a man, when having intercourse, does not release, his, he doesn't ejaculate, and he redirects this vital fluid, which is considered that a vital fluid, an essence, and he directs it up his Sushumna Nadi for self realization, for the purposes of, of moving into states of Samahadi or just awakening. And it brings to me the teaching from Paramahasa Yogananda and a lot of other teachers of uh, different lineages of yoga that talk about not wasting this energy. And you mentioned this as well as Beth in some of your writing where you say you don't want to just waste and like kind of disperse and spill out your energy. We, you know, we're, we don't want to forego pleasure, but we can use pleasure as the vehicle by which we trans, we transmute it. But I want to just read this quote from Paramahasa Yogananda on the other end of the spectrum and have you comment on that from your expertise. And Paramahasa Yogananda would speak to his monks and devotees. And to this point, he said, Every drop of creative chemical fluid is said to contain the concentrated essence of eight drops of blood and the electric energy that would be contained in their thousands of blood corpus corpuscles <laughs> to drive them out of the body foolishly lured by the enemy sexual temptation is to lose these soldiers of energy and mental power and to become a victim of the army of darkness, disease, weakness, fear, worry, dissatisfaction, melancholia, and even premature death. What say you on that? <laughs> well, yeah, sure, yeah. So one of the primary edicts of all the variations of tantra that there are is for the man to learn to separate ejaculation from orgasm. And okay. it's one of the primary things that we teach in our work. And I do a men's workshop and that's one of the exercises that they do between the first and the second day. And a lot of things happen there uh, for men. And I, I don't, uh, you know, espouse that, you know, one should never ejaculate. I espouse that one should have the choice to and be able to drop into another expression and experience of in energetic injaculation by muscle control and breath awareness and moving the energy up to the heart and moving it, you know, doing the, um, you know, the uh, microcosmic orbit with your partner or and with yourself within yourself. So there's a lot of very, a lot of terms for this. 
But anybody in a body who practices the awareness of what happens in those higher levels of, of even low levels of, 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 of arousal, one starts to drop into a deeper listening, which can separate some of the unconscious stuff that we do, the automatistic uh, jealousy and, and judging and, and our positions in our story and the beliefs and so on. So that's where I believe sex consciousness can be a doorway for people to shift something. But in terms of some of the other things, the darkness, I mean, I get how that could be extrapolated in no, terms of- No, that's, that's just like, he expressed this in a certain way, but at the very core is like the spilling of life force energy is depleting. So this right. is once a man ejaculates, has ejaculated, he wants to rest. You he know. disengages. He's yeah. not present. And it's a biological thing. You know, it's like the energy is gone. The semen is gone. And so in the tantric as well as also Taoist practices, uh, the man gets, you know, uh, encouraged to actually forego the ejaculation and learn how there's a muscle in the pelvic floor that starts quivering around nine and a half, nine and three quarters on a scale from one to 10, 10 being the ejaculatory moment. And that muscle starts quivering in service of ejecting the ejaculate. And then the energy with the ejaculate, the energy is also gone. So if the man wants to retain and circulate the energy so that the energy doesn't get lost so that he can be in that wonderful orgasmic wave for however long he wishes to either in solo practice or with his beloved and we then speak about circulating energy that's a very nice thing to be able to play in that ether for as long as you want and then you know send energy down slow yourself down and still have that aliveness outside of the sexual experience as a way of listening and being it's really right. a great way to enliven yeah. you know your whole experience in your life yeah let's just look at how you know when either freddie uh, in freddie's workshop men sex and power where he teaches uh, men uh, this practice and they come back the next day or if we have a co-ed workshop in our advanced workshop you know for couples and paired singles where there is a practice, it's called a ritual for the men, where the man is the receiver and the partner is the giver. The partner could be a woman, could be a man. So what we are sharing here is for any kind of orientation, because in any relationship, there is a polarity, just like the moon and the sun, right. the uh, earth and the sky, the feminine, masculine, yin and yang, if that polarity is not there, there is no magnetism. So it's not dependent on what, uh, what kind of gender, you know, signature I have or am, mm -hmm. it's energy. So um, in our COVID workshops, the same thing happens. There is this uh, ritual for the men uh, when they go and do the homework practice in the privacy of their home or their hotel room, the next day they come back, you know, most men report that for one thing, they, they, 
didn't think that they could even do that, separating ejaculation from orgasm, where orgasm is the sensation, that wonderful feeling that can be transported through the breath up into the heart, into the third eye, throughout the whole body, so that they could forego ejaculation in that way was is not available for most was not available for most men. But once they do it, they say, "Wow, I never have had this kind of feeling." Mm-hmm. Often, also when they come as a couple, they may say, "I never felt that close to my wife or my partner," because there is while I, as a partner, for example, to Freddie. You know, it is not about me. I'm here to come from service in supporting him so that he can channel his energy. You know, so it's not mutual love making on purpose. These rituals inform them the mutual love making, that they are really a, a unique um, way of learning something that wouldn't be other way, other uh, otherwise available and because what we do in these rituals is that we maintain roles so that's the receiver and the giver and the receiver stays in the receiving role for an hour for one and a half hours sometimes two hours can you imagine then how that receiving this dropping into letting go which implies trusting yes and being supported allowing to be supported all of that opens a space that is a much more vulnerable space that also transports us into new dimensions or perhaps very old dimensions you know it makes me think of just in my private practice a lot of women, I may have mentioned this, I've done 50 of these and I don't have the editing team of Joe Rogan's podcast. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I've mentioned this before or not, but I think of my private practice where I counsel a lot of people and this sort of common theme that I hear from women, uh, a complaint when there's, there's an incoherence, there's, there's, there's not harmony in the relationship. And it's often related to just, they don't have my back. I don't feel like they have my back. And in this practice of allowing yourself to receive for an hour, I mean, even for a half hour, whatever it is, that could be just, that could be just so life-changing. 10 minutes could be life-changing because they're not used to receiving. And this could be go for the men as well but I'm just thinking of the women that I've worked with and they say, you know, I don't feel like they have my back and what that could do, how that could translate and seed in the consciousness where through the practice of Tantra or sexual exercise, conscious sexual exercise, giving and receiving, the woman can practice the presence of allowing someone to have their back. (laughs) and take care of them and how that could just open up pathways in the relationship where it's like, you know, the argument is never really about the argument. It's really what's underneath it. It's never about you didn't walk the dog or you didn't do the dishes or you don't have enough money. It's you really don't have my back. 
I don't feel yeah. safe. I don't feel you hold me. I don't feel seen, you know? Yeah, we work with a lot of couples who come in to us and they're in the peak of their aliveness. And she's like, I don't know if you love me to him. And he's like, of course I love you. He shows the heart on, you know? And she's like, yeah, but can you keep me with your heart? And that's right. not something that guys learn. You know, there's two emotions that are okay for guys socially. It's like fucking or fighting, right? And so when they start to bring this practice into their awareness, they start to transcend, uh, you know, one, the jealousy, possessiveness, the ego, uh, the shame, the fear, the guilt, all this. I mean, you know, sex is loaded. Uh, and so one of the constructs in the ritual practice that we teach in learning how to be different with your sexual energy or experience yourself different in that energy aligned with intention is the roles. So there's a role of a giver and receiver. So when a man learns how to um, trans transmute his own sexual energy to his heart, in the giving role, like he may be excited because he's there with his nude woman. Uh, and so, but to not go, well, let's do mutual love. You're wet, I'm hard, let's let's get it on. To be able to be there in the construct of the ritual to hold the space and to go through the practice, it allows the receiver in, in the woman's instance to be in her own energetic intimate vulnerability and to soar or to, to emote or to process whatever she's working on to get to or through what it is she wants to create. So that's that's um, a great opportunity for a woman to start to drop into her goddess because, you know, the vilification of sex has been, you know, pro, you know, put on by the man, you know, from early, early in, in the day, you know, because the woman is the goddess and the holder of that sacred energy. This was really the pivotal moment in my life when I told the story earlier about myself, the tantric healing was that ritual. And I had never been, you know, really just seen and being, being, mm. being in the presence of a man who was my practice partner. He was my beloved who was there for me. And it was not about him. And it like the, you know, really the things really fell off me and in that mm. intimate being held you know without he wanting something from me in that proximity of you know it was mm. i mean i was there totally open mm. but that was a, then the opening towards coming into what eluded me so much because it's an environment where I could just let go. Mm -hmm. And you know that we hold these memories on the cellular level of our body all over. But in our sexual center, when do we go to our yoni and just listen to her? And there was a deep listening of her through this partner who supported me. And that really opened up that, you know, memory and then letting go of all the pain. And I had done work on this whole experience of the 18 year old uh, in therapy when I was in my thirties. And that was very helpful because there was someone who took me seriously. I could express my emotions and I thought it was all complete. Mm -hmm. But what I didn't know was that there was a residue on the cellular level as a memory that was not accessible to my conscious mind. 
And the beauty of that ritual was that I was connected to my body on a very deep primal level where the injury, so to speak, had happened. You know, in this first time of intercourse, it was so painful. So it can be quite miraculous, actually, what could open up. And for me, you know, my life totally shifted. I mean, I wanted it to shift then because there was clearing, there was healing. I left the management consulting firm and, you know, started my own business. And as soon as I met Freddie, you know, we decided to pull, off. to pull our resources and create Hunter Nova together. Um, and I see it over and over again, particularly with women, that when they tap into the yoni energy and free that wonderful feminine essence that often got so injured, like generationally, collectively, it's not only an individual, you know, experience or constriction. And by freeing, by clearing and healing, the energy gets set free, which sexual life force energy is, as Freddie said earlier, is creative energy. Right. Often women then, when they go through our work, they really start looking at what am I doing with my life? Mm. You know, or something is off. I'm not coherent, coherent with, you know, how I express myself in the world. And it's often like, uh, you know, just like a jumping board then. Mm-hmm. Well, the, to your point, the history just demonstrates that so well, how women have been just restricted or subjugated or just put in pl- positions where, you know, objectified. I mean, we could go through all the adjectives. And with that, it creates a, a, a distorted lens of connection of sex of sensuality of the divine feminine i mean the divine feminine isn't even in that picture it's a distorted view of who we are as women and it's and it's a wound that that is seeking to be um set free to be to be healed so yeah i want to you- say something to that because i think in we are in the shifting phase of that is to see that this hierarchical relational construct of men and women for over millennia where the hierarchical relational uh, model is where one is up and one is down. And it's not only in relationships like intimate relationships, but also like institutions, it's still very much, you know, present. But what we also need to see so that we don't get lost in victimhood, like we were subjugated or subjected to, is that in that hierarchical relationship that has been there, had been there for millennia, that this was a certain consciousness where everybody played into that consciousness, including women. There is no fault question because consciousness allows for certain things to be seen or not seen. And everybody in that sense sees the same, perhaps from different angles. The great opportunity now is that we actually can shift out of the hierarchical model into a horizontal model, which we call the partnership model. 
where we are both equal yet different. You know, there is not one up and down. It may just be that at one moment, Freddie leads and I follow. And in the next moment, I may lead and he may follow. So we have this infinity loop where we really dance together, which requires that we develop certain capacities because in that model, we both want to be able to give and receive. You know, often people come to us, yeah, I'm just much better at giving. Guess what? Yeah, I can see this because then you are in control or at least have the feeling of being in control. But you rob the other if you don't receive because then the other never can really give to you. It's right. like there's something incomplete or, you know, another capacity like leading and following. We want to be able to move in both dimensions or the listening and the speaking that I can speak up just as I can listen. I love that. Thank you for, for saying that because I think it's so important that women don't walk around with this victim card, you know, and, um, and thank you for, for clarifying that. That's beautifully said. I have a question. Do you guys teach people to keep their eyes open when they're having intercourse? Or do you find that the eyes, a lot of people will disconnect and it's a sort of way for them to kind of consciously leave the room mm -hmm. while they're in partnership in the sexual act with their partner. In the ritual practice, there is a co-centering exercise that is part of the, the practice where it's like trespassa, where they're gazing into one another's left eye. And okay. there can be a lot of unmasking emotionally in that process. Because a lot of folks have never just looked into someone's eyes without it meaning anything, you know, getting right. to the, the meaninglessness of the, just the gaze. So, but we don't teach necessarily them to do that uh, when they're in their mutual lovemaking. But I think what happens is, a lot of these things that are part of the ritual construct appropriated as part of their and, and, and integrated into their mutual lovemaking. But we don't teach or tell them that. We just let that unfold for them. Yeah, that there is the possibility of like, you know, the whole thing about being and staying present. Yes. And uh, that and not going off into fantasy. Now, the receiver may actually be in an altered state you know, when Most we definitely. start feeling ourselves and r really that connection of my yoni with my third eye or so, it transports me into a whole different way of sensing. Mm. That is then it, the energy moves through me. I don't do anything anymore, mm. you know. And there are moments when my eyes are closed and then there are moments Freddie asked me then, is there anything you want to share? And I may say, no, I'm not ready yet, <laughs> you know, or, or I'm here for you. And then I just know this, you know, affirmation that he's here for me. I can speak. I don't have to speak. I can open my eyes or not. It's very Vesuvius and flowing. Um, or, you know, when it gets more cathartic, there may be crying, there may be screaming. 
they may be, you know, just contraction of the whole body. But it's the energy moves through us. And when there's contraction, it's often like things get shaken up. Right. You know? So it's, there is not like a, a blueprint. It's more for the giver, very much important to stay present and grounded. And in mutual lovemaking, it's yes, of course. And there's a lot of breathing. And when you spoke earlier, also in the Osho quote, becoming one, we do this as a daily practice, actually, not in a sexual way, explicitly sexual way, but in a connecting way, you know, where we connect heart to heart and we breathe in synchronized breath. When we breathe together uh, in synchronicity, within one or two breaths, we feel one. And it's from the heart. We always focus on the heart because the heart is the reconciler. You know, instead of being or staying in our head that analyzes if it feels right or I have to get on to the next thing. You know, no, we drop into the heart and the love connection is there and the breath is really our guide. What do you say to people listening that may feel that pleasure is not spiritual? Or they might say that, yeah, no, I get it. Like pleasure is something to experience. It's a human experience, but it's fleeting. I'm interested in that which sustains and that doesn't sustain. What do you say to that sort of? Yes, this this is really a great question. Uh, We distinguish between fulfillment and gratification. Mm. So the, the fulfillment in the pleasure self doesn't have to chase pleasure. You know, it is, uh, we also then come into a place where that, as Freddie actually said it beautifully earlier, that then the state of pleasure and joy that we can experience in sexual union with self and the beloved is then radiates out into every moment of our day. We are the state of pleasure. Pleasure is not a destination Mm. to arrive at. So fulfillment is a state of being. Gratification can only be achieved. I love that. Thank you. Well, a couple more questions and I'll let you guys go. Thank you for sticking around. This is great. Thank you. Oh, good. Uh, So... How is, this is kind of just a nerdy question off of something you wrote. How is the testosterone, how is testosterone a quick hormone and estrogen a slow hormone? What does that mean? Yeah. So the man has the the sperm that are fighting to get to the sitting, you know, eggs. Okay. That's the quick hormone, the quickness of it. Okay. Uh, aggressiveness of the of the masculine self. But, you know, when we start out and we're zygotes in the womb, we're androgynous. And then as, you know, whatever the reasons are, we're decided to be man or woman. We have aspects of testosterone, more if you're a man, estrogen, more if you're a woman. And as we get older, the whole thing reverses itself. 
men grow breasts and women grow hair on their faces. So what we're talking about though, in this practice, in this work is how to be integrated in that polarity, that balance yin yang uh, as you know, uh, uh, mature adults. And that's, how does that work socially? How does that work emotionally? I mean, there can be an out of balance masculine or the quick hormone out of balance to fight the quick hormone, to uh, be aggressive, the quick hormone, to not listen, to not be um, uh, connected to our emotional self or allow that. Uh, so there's, a, there's an opportunity to balance that for yeah. men and women. Yeah, and then okay. when we look at uh, male sexual energy and female sexual energy, let's put it like the one who is more in their yang energy because it applies to same-sex couples just as much, um, is the one who is in uh, their masculine energy. That is where this quick hormone idea comes from, that that energy of the one who is more in their masculine energy, that that energy rises quickly, sexual energy rises quickly and drops quickly. Okay. Unlike the yin energy or the feminine sexual energy or the one who is more in their feminine, the sexual energy rises slowly, hangs out. We don't know if it's coming or going. However, when it's reawakened, it can come up to a plateau and then stay on the plateau for a long time, multiple orgasms, orgasmic waves. And where the disconnect often lives between that yin and yang energy, that woman and that man or these two partners is that male sexual energy rises quickly while feminine energy hangs out while male energy already has dropped. As the male learns to sustain and circulate that energy, then actually he can be stay grounded in his manhood, use that testosterone energy to fuel his heart. And then he becomes more available to himself and more available to his partner. And then trust can open up for the partner. Hmm. that rhythm is so different and then we can dance the dance together on the plateau gorgeous that's bliss i think yes (laughs) what is the best time if there is even such a thing but is there a best time of the day as it relates as it relates to women and their systems or men or spiritual text or biological clocks or earth energies to engage in lovemaking, to receive? Well, men usually have stronger orgasms in the morning. Chemically, there's things that are happening. But I think we all have to listen to our own clock and our own rhythm and find that place to either be with ourselves in the sexual meditation or with our partners in sexual meditation or quickies or fun or whatever works for you. But I think that the sexual meditation is really important that everyone should learn the fundamentals of that to be able to do additional things that can assist us in being better human beings with our sex through our sexual energy as a doorway to seeing and being more human with ourselves and each other. Hmm. I had a feeling you would say that, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're not, we're not, uh, we're, we're not the, 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 
energies of the planet or the moon or the stars or the temperature or whatever is not going to dictate to us what we are going to do for our awakening or, or even our pleasure or mm-hmm. connecting. So thanks for that. What is the oldest or who is the oldest couple that has, uh, that you've worked with? Mm. The oldest? Oh, in Maybe our ourselves. practice. <laughs> no, no. Very young and fresh. Um, so once in a while, people come in their 70s. I love that. Yeah. And we also laugh when they come in their early 20s, which they do. Is there something you notice with people that are much older or they're senior citizens that is there is there a sense of greater laissez-faireness or just letting be what is be and not so much in their head? Uh, it depends so much on their own yeah. evolution. Yeah. yeah. Some couples, no matter how old they are, they still live in an illusion. Yeah. You know, and around sex, around love, around intimacy, there are quite a few illusions. And I have been very fortunate to really intentionally face my illusions. And the more I grow, the more I mature, the more I see the subtleties of my illusions. And the more and more I let go of the illusion, clear myself, the freer I become and the more fulfilled I live my life. I guess we'll wrap with this sort of all-encompassing question. What event horizon have you experienced that's just shattered your lens of how you see yourself in relationship? Wow, I could dig deep here. (laughs) It's a whole other podcast. (laughs) We're not going for the, you know, the McDonald's. I don't know about shattering, but I think the opportunity for me in relationship is to choose love, to choose being in relationship daily, to choose my life and everything in my life. Because the stories of ambivalence, the stories of doubt, the stories of you know, fear, whatever it might be, are there. And when they show up, I just look at them and I feel what's going on energetically from that story that's there. And then I choose what it is I want, which in, for me, the last 21 years is choosing to be in this relationship with Elspeth and the relationship with Tantra Nova and this work. So choosing our life. Is there an event that you've experienced of where you experienced Freddie contrast though, where you had to redirect and kind of, it allowed you, it propelled you to stand on a new foundational ground of awareness of masculine presence. Every day, (laughs) every day, you know, it's interesting because doing this work uh, and then getting that I am the same clay that, you know, we're teaching practices for people to shift the things that don't work in their life are the same things that happened for me. Right, Um, exactly. One of the things that I've always sort of moved towards is 
risky behavior. Mm. You know, like I, I sing jazz, you know, and I, I was told I couldn't sing when I was pretty young and I believed that I was an athlete. And so I've been singing jazz and, you know, doing theater and shows and teaching workshops, this work, I mean, such, I mean, sexual work. I mean, it's still so vilified in the world, you know, right. that, you know, it's funny. We used to talk to a group at uh, uh, Loyola University every year. This professor would have us come talk to his graduating class of, uh, you know, uh, family, marriage and family counselors and therapists. And none of them hardly had heard of any of this type of work. And I, I was always just always just so, you know, it's obvious, but I mean, I felt like they should be learning how to do this as a way to work with their clients to get more deeply connected to whatever their story is, whatever mm -hmm. their stuff is. But it's still so vilified, you know, I mean, even in this state, you can't even, you know, you can't even hire a sexual therapist or a, um, a sexual surrogate to work with you, you know, so it's, it's still a lot of, a long way to go. Where are you guys located? In Chicago. Oh, Chicago. right. So Chicago, you cannot hire a sexual surrogate? Nope. Can you in California? Yeah. Yep. They have a program. Actually, I did sexual surrogacy work right after college under the auspices of my father. At the time you could do it under the auspices of a physician or a psychologist. But anyway, I'm getting the signal to move on. <laughs> Fascinating. Okay. Yeah. So I have a very distinct experience, if I may share it, oh, to yes. your question that altered me or I used it to alter myself, which was uh, I had a hysterectomy four years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, while the physical part was very easy, very easy healing, however, emotionally, it really, I mean, tore me wide open. And that was a time when I discovered that I had all my life looked for love outside. You know, like that I can only feel love when I am given through another feeling love through another and it was such in, in this whole process that i mean this is shorthand now what i'm sharing here it was quite in depth and going into the abyss and in the sense of really re-experiencing my coming into this world on a very primal uh, level and it was i mean very impactful for me to live my life now and i'm you know i'm going to turn 73 next month and it's like I continually surprised how aliveness can be newly discovered at any age mm. an extent that I never could imagine and I'm sharing this here because life is not over until we leave this planet so it's an encouragement I want to pass on that there's so much aliveness within us and that we can access it. Sometimes it may be a little bit difficult. You know, mm. I'm not saying that it's easy, but the results, I wouldn't want to have missed the going through the depth of experiences I went through after the, uh, the hysterectomy, but it opened up a whole new window actually myself and shifted from now 
what I call living my life from being internally sourced versus externally referenced. Mm, that's really gorgeous. Thank you for sharing that. Do you find, Elspeth, that just as a consideration, I'm certainly not implying that this is the case by any means, but just this, this is what's kind of coming up as you're sharing that, that every condition that we have, every dis-ease um, physical manifestation first comes from an energetic source. So there's an imprint there. There's, a, there's an energy there. And do you, can you track that manifestation of needing a hysterectomy? Do you track that to the sort of repetitive imprint momentum that you created as a sort of energetic calcification in that part of your body? Uh, can you relate that? Would you correlate that? I guess I should say. <clears throat> with all of these impressions of the lack of, of loving from these men and, and your perception of how you, you saw yourself and, and looked for love and you kind of got yeah. stored in that place in your body. Yeah. What it has brought me to is like that all of us live with certain interpretations that we interpretation. <coughs> Interpretations not just on mental nature or linguistic nature. Um, they are also um, energetic. Energetic feeling because the early imprints are not linguistic or mental. Like coming out of my mother's birth canal, and mm. that I could have certain have had certain experiences, you know. And then being caught by my dad, so to speak, and while it was uncomfortable in the womb and coming out of it, it was very pleasurable to be received by my dad. Yes. You no. Know? And it was so pleasurable that somehow I configured that this is what, where true pleasure and connection and bliss resides. And so the de desire, this longing, to come back to that same place that was associated with my dad. So this is how I had configured it. And again, not until in my later lives that this showed up as an opening, as a clearing of the veil of illusion, you mm -hmm. know, um, that then had me long uh, for the longing for that reconnection. And I really went deep with that. I thought perhaps it's the longing for the connection with the universe to reconnect with that, what we came from, or you called it source earlier. Because there was this strong long longing beyond the hysterectomy for several years, very strong, and I just stayed with it. I listened to it. I felt it. You know, and in the process, things arose and opened up for me in seeing once we tap into the subconscious, there's so much to be seen and learned about ourselves. And um, so by, by really, I call it, I separated at some point my vortex from my father's vortex. And what opened up was 
becoming connected with the universal vortex. Now that was an experience that was not an intellectual analysis. And the experience was so strong that it has stayed with me ever since. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that also opened the door to fulfillment where I no longer long because I'm already here. Hmm. Gorgeous. I love that. Well, if, if solic, sensual, divine, loving connection correlates with staying young and fresh and beautiful and vibrant and pranic and filled with light and just so much expansion. You guys are the epitome of that because you do not, you, you, you give new definition to 73. I have to say. We're seniors. (laughs) I mean, I'm, I just, it's astonishing. It's just, may we all be as vibrant as you both are, period. (laughs) So thank you so much, you guys, for taking the time to break all this down and share your wisdom and your experience and your thoughts and your personal um, discoveries around all of it. I'm so grateful. And I really hope that the listeners here will be able to bite off some of this and apply it to their own lives for the highest good. Thanks, Diane. Yeah, and for... Diane, if we also just may share with the listeners about our newly released audiobook on sexual enlightenment. Please do. Yeah, where you as a listener can learn more about what we had that great pleasure to talk with Diane about over the last hour. So it's called Sexual Enlightenment, How to Create Lasting Fulfillment in Life, Love and Intimacy. It's available on Audible. It's available in paperback, whatever you know you like uh, to read in whatever form. And then, of course, you are welcome to come to our website at tantranova.com, T-A-N-T-R-A-N-O-V-A.com like Supernova, Tantra Nova. And there are lots of free, uh, you know, resources as well as our programs, workshops for individuals, for couples, wherever you may be at. We also work privately, online, in person. So whatever suits you. Fantastic. Thank you so much, you guys. This was great. Thanks, Diane. Thank you. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the Spiritual Geek Out podcast. If you like what you're hearing here, check out more by subscribing on your favorite platform or go to spiritualgeekout.com.